You're listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series that syndicates for the A-List online. My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith, and the interview subject I've got coming up for you is Lawrence Blatt. Now, the reason for the conversation is to promote Lawrence's beautiful compositions. He is an excellent guitarist. But another thing about Lawrence, he is a very talented human being. We talk all about his endeavours outside of music through the podcast episode as well, so I really hope you enjoy this conversation with Lawrence Blatt. Here we go. That's a wonderful episode. Yep, right there. Yeah, because you've done yeah. more yeah. than I could probably mention, certainly in this podcast episode. But my gosh, yeah, got a resume that I think would make anybody blush. So I'm going to go from the top and feel free to add, change, or remove anything that I mention here. Sure. I, I've done sure. my. I've done some googling. Okay, so Beth sent across some information, but of course I always go a bit deeper and do the Google thing. Now. You, um, I understand you work in the field of genetics and you also compose music and I understand the music part of it is the reason for the conversation but it's certainly worth mentioning everything else you do. You earned your Bachelor of Science. Yeah, and, yeah. So yeah. Um, I, I work in biotechnology. Um, I'm a virologist by training. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, you know, also write and produce and, and uh, record music um, and, uh, you know, somehow make those two things work together. Yeah, look, the other thing is you're a philanthropist and you've done a lot for your alma mater as well. There's, um, there's uh, mention of an extraordinary figure there online about your gift via a foundation, I think it is, to your alma mater there. So you're certainly somebody who is very caring too and you want to see, uh, you want to see aspects of your life that are given you so much. You want to give a lot back to that, obviously. Yeah, I, we, we do. Um, so my wife and I have a foundation um, and we do a lot of giving. Um, Recently, we've been quite involved in, in all these natural disasters that have been happening around the world and, and trying to uh, do what we can to help, uh, you know, in the floods and fires and, and all the different things that have been going on. So um, we, we try to get out there and, and do stuff like that. Uh, also very involved in um, the Grammy uh, Society um, with the Music Cares program. Uh, we do a lot with them. Uh, and that's a program that, that helps um, people that uh, are musicians that, that are sort of down and out. Uh, so, yeah, I'm a busy person. Lots of stuff going on. Where do you find the energy, though? I mean, I've got two kids and I go to university in my, in my 40s. I'm back at university because I've got a resetting my, uh, my career path, if you like, and I'm becoming a journalist from working in um, telecommunications. But... You've done you've done an, an extraordinary amount already. You've achieved a lot, but you're continuing to do a lot. And we will definitely talk about the music. But where do you find the time to, to do everything and the energy? Probably more to the point. I, I think uh, you know a, a lot of it just comes from a uh, passion to to want to make these things happen. Um, and you know you find time, I would say people have time for things that are important to them. So you find the time and, and you make the time and. The other thing is you, you try to integrate, you know, different aspects of, of all of it. Hmm. Let's talk about your music then, okay, because I've had it on in the background a fair sure. bit over the last few weeks. And I've written down some descriptors because I, I won't play the music on the podcast episode, but I like to give people a, a visual description. Okay, so it's easy to say that it's stunningly vast and beautiful music because it is. But it's also music that moves you. And Thank it, you. And it, and it moves you in a way that, that conjures these wonderful visual images and if I was to uh, take the listener on that journey it's the music of a light summer breeze blue skies over a myriad of flowers now 
that's my description, but is there anything that you'd like to change or add to that? No, I think, I think for me, uh, you know, I, I write music and I play music that I feel, um, I often get asked, you know, what genre do you belong to? Because I do a pretty broad scope of things. And my answer is I, I, I don't even understand genres. I, I don't, uh, sit down and say, I'm going to write a jazz piece or a new age piece or neoclassical piece. I just sort of play what, what comes out. So, um, other people can classify it, but, but I, I don't really feel it that way. Um, and sometimes, you know, it's just as simple as sitting down with a guitar and, uh, seeing what happens. But other times I, I do hear melodies and, and translate them to guitar. Hmm. Now I've spoken about this next subject to a lot of people and that's the use of mathematics to compose music and I believe it's something that you know quite a lot about because Beth said that you you work with mathematics and you do work them into your composition so can you tell me how that's done? So first of all if you think about it music is a mathematical language Mm. so music is is written on a scale uh, and the scale has intervals and those intervals create uh, chords uh, if they're uh, produced properly. And, you know, there's Western scales and Eastern scales and, and Middle Eastern scales, and I'm, I'm familiar with all of those. So on the very basic level, music is a mathematical language. You can't escape that. In addition to that, music is, is played to a time signature. So uh, all, all of music is really about, um, you know, math and counting uh, in terms of time signatures and then um, math in terms of constructing scales and chords. So from there, it's, a, it's actually an easy thing to think about. One of the things that I became interested in were um, mathematical constants. And I don't know if you're familiar with um, uh, an ancient um, Italian mathematician called uh, Fibonacci. Yeah, yeah, Fibonacci. Um, who actually, yeah. by the way, he actually stole his concepts from, from people in India and, and, and Iran, but we won't get into that. Uh, but anyway, what, what Fibonacci um, uh, sort of brought to the Western world from the Middle East and, and uh, in India was this concept that in nature, if you look, there's a mathematical sequence that keeps repeating itself. And there's something called the Fibonacci sequence, which is, that you take a number and you add it to the previous number in the sequence and you get the sequence. So it's quite simply, Fibonacci numbers are one, uh, one, and then one plus one is two, and two plus one is three, and three plus two is five, and you go on to infinity like that. Well, there's two things that happen. One is that if you look in nature, you look at the flowers of petals, um, you look at pine cones, uh, you look at the way uh, trees uh, form leaves, they always form them in a Fibonacci sequence. So flowers often have uh, five petals uh, or, or another or eight petals. Um, so that's pretty interesting. And then if you take the ratio of um, two Fibonacci numbers, you get a number of 1.6 and repeating decimals that go out forever. And it turns out that that ratio is is constantly uh, repeated in nature. So the spiral of a galaxy or the spirals of a snail shell or inside our ears, there's a little um, spiral um, bone in there that helps us hear. And they're all uh, work towards Fibonacci uh, ratios. So 
so I thought, you know, why not try to apply this to music? If it's a natural constant, why not uh, try to use it in music? And so I, I uh, wrote songs and tracks for the album Fibonacci's Dream, which was mm-hmm. uh, the second album I released. And on that album, I used Fibonacci numbers and ratios uh, to construct melodies uh, and patterns. And um, and that was a, a pretty successful album. Uh, in fact, just this morning, uh, somebody sent me a, a photo of their radio in their car where the tracks was playing on Sirius XM. Cool. So they're still playing it. Uh, and then, you know, from there, I got um, interested in uh, another uh, uh, mathematical or, or scientific concept called emergence. And what emergence is, is that uh, complex patterns can emerge from simple uh, patterns. And, and the, the most, um, you know, sort of uh, uh, described uh, emergence patterns is, is um, ants in a colony where um, they form uh, lines and, and can get to food. And, and, but there's no ant giving directions. It's just they're following very simple rules. And this emerges into that complexity. And so for uh, my album called Emergence, um, I defined some very simple rules uh, for where the music would go, um, rules about um, melodies. And I gave those rules to, uh, I constructed uh, guitar parts, and then I gave those rules to people um, like Charlie Bisharat, who was my violinist on the album. And um, so it was sort of impromptu, uh, improvisation, but but based on simple rules. Uh, so it was a pretty cool experiment, and, and um, a lot of really great uh, songs uh, came out of that, and it was pretty. It was a fun album to do. Uh, also, as yep. you've seen the cover of that album, I, I created that um, pattern uh, actually on a, on the computer, um, and and if you look at it from far away, it, it looks like it's um, you know a, a pretty interesting complex shape, but actually it's just um, a repeating pattern of, of simple structures. Yeah, gosh, there's a lot in there. There's there's a lot in there, and it, it's it's a conversation that I've had uh, not so much on the podcast series, but certainly with a lot of people who come from a similar background to you, and they've they've come from a science and a mathematics background. They've asked me how I compose music, and I've said, uh, well, look, effectively, yeah. I'm, I'm I'm my strengths are the humanities. I'm a journalist. I, I don't uh, the mathematics and the science side of things for me. It's it's something I've really got to work at. So it's not intuitive for me. But with people like yourself, it is intuitive. You've got that natural bent toward it, so therefore it's a lot easier for you, I think, to insert that into the creative process, if you like. But I would love to be able to put a slide rule over a lot of the music that I've written and thought, how can I improve this using a lot of the methodologies that you've just outlined there? Because I imagine there's this is a, uh, I wouldn't say a revolutionary way of looking at songwriting, okay, but it is certainly a very... Uh, interesting way of looking at creating very interesting songs and that's evident in the music that you've created so for, for people listening out there that are a bit intimidated by the thought of introducing mathematics in their, into their music and they might be a bit like me and that their strengths are in the humanities and in languages where would you suggest that they start well i think i think you probably know more than you think you know uh so so for example you 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 know the the intervals of chords, but whether you, you know them by precisely what they are, like a one, three, five chord, mm-hmm. you know that you take the first note of, of a scale and the third note and the fifth note. So, so those are intervals right there that, that, you know, 
And then what you could start doing is playing around with those intervals because that's how you get uh, some of the more interesting chords, um, either on piano or guitar, where you're instead of your simple major chord, which is one, three, five, you might add a sixth to it or a seventh to it. Um, and, and you'll see that by taking a simple chord that you already know and changing it just a bit, you can get different tonalities uh, and different sounds where you're not really just, you're really not varying much at all uh, by doing that. Um, the other thing I, I like to do as a guitarist, uh, I like to uh, experiment with alternative tunings. Um, yeah, and, okay. and, and when you do that, uh, th- things really open up for you uh, in terms of your ability to, to get some of these more interesting chords. So some of my uh, compositions might start out you know, as, as very simple chord progressions. And then by altering these chords, by you know, thinking of, okay, maybe uh, I want to make this a minor chord. So what are, what are the elements of the minor chord? Yeah. Uh, and I, I put those in. And so that's a, that's a way to, to take something you already know how to do and, and move it into something that's a lot more interesting. Yeah, good points. Good points right there. Yeah. And is there any apps or any online uh, tutorials or help that you could probably suggest someone someone look into? Because I know there are a lot of people. You know, I don't know. There, I, I, I haven't ever uh, tried that. Um, so a lot of this stuff I'm just driving on my own. So yeah, I would yeah. imagine there would be. Um, I did see yeah. one thing that was pretty amazing on Facebook once. Uh, I saw somebody that um, you're familiar with the, the mathematical constant pi. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, and I saw somebody take um, a scale, and and pi can be calculated now with supercomputers to you know the millionth decimal. Mm-hmm. And they simply played um, the uh, numbers in pi out to like fifty decimals uh, sequentially, and it was pretty amazing what came out of this thing. A bit. Um, I wish I knew who did that, but it was it was um, pretty amazing. So I think that there are um, there are universal constants uh, that occur, whether they're um, colors uh, or or sound waves. I think there are things that are universal that um, that we can stick to by using math as a bridge uh, to to yeah. uh, figure out how to how to do that. If someone listening wanted to reach out to you and wanted to improve their compositional ability using this, could they reach out to you and ask you some questions? Sure, sure, yeah. Uh, I have contact information on my website, which is just uh, com, and uh, my email is just lawrence at com. so they can certainly reach out to me that way. Uh, uh, or on, on Facebook, I uh, have... Uh, uh, my uh, artist page there, and, and mm-hmm. people can contact me that way. Uh, also on Instagram and Twitter as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you have a great online presence. Ways ways you said. Yep. Yeah. The other thing, the yeah, other th- so I'm trying to do that. And look, the other thing that I couldn't help but notice being a guitarist myself is that you are an excellent guitarist. So we're talking about your ability to form shapes and chords. 
uh, outside of just picking the notes, you can actually articulate those notes very well on a fretboard. So I think your great strength is actually letting the music breathe and not filling a page with notes, a bit like Yngwie Malmsteen and a lot of these shred guitarists. You're actually somebody who is very, very considered in your application of notes. So is there anybody that, that inspired you as a guitarist, like a Paco de Lucia? Absolutely. Yeah, lots of people. But I think the, the turning point for me uh, in in my technical ability came, um, I was living in Boulder, Colorado, hmm. and um, I saw this flyer literally on a, on a um, uh, you know, like a, a bar um, billboard um, that it was a master guitar class, and it was uh, given by uh, somebody the name of uh, Lawrence Juber. Uh, who you may know was the uh, main guitar player for Wings uh, mm-hmm. yep. and is an incredible uh, fingerstyle uh, guitar player. And he just kind of opened the door for me on, uh, first of all, he, uh, before I met him, I, I played with a flat pick, um, which is great. And, and uh, I still play with a flat pick. Uh, but he showed me, you know, how to, how to use, how to use my fingers to, um, and moreover, uh, he's unique in that he doesn't use nails or uh, metal picks on the, the tips of his fingers. He actually just uses um, his fingers, um, mm-hmm. and that's what I do. Uh, and okay. I think that gives a, um, a very different sound than than you get with um, nails or uh, metal uh, picks on your fingers. You get a, a much more uh, true tone, I think, uh, and it gives you a little more ability to control um, what you're playing. Cause with a pick, you get kind of one thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so that was really a breakthrough working with, with Lawrence. Uh, and there, there were a number of other people in that workshop. Um, and from there, and it really, it took me a long time. It took me about two years actually, um, to, to be able to, to play with my fingers because yep. it's a whole different thing than, than uh, is, flat pick. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, yeah. And, yeah, and you and you just have to do repetitive over and over again. Uh, he gave some exercises for doing that, uh, and then you get to the point where um, you can do it. And and you know some of the things I do that I, I credit Lawrence with um, is being able to play a bass line and a melody at the same oh, yeah. time. Yes. Um, it, you know that and the, that now comes pretty naturally, but. When you first try it, it's you think, "Oh my God, this is impossible." So, <laughs> I would say for anybody wanting to make that transition, just stick to it. And um, you know, uh, music is you have to exercise, just like if you were learning a new skill in a sport. You know, you have to do it every day and exercise and 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 stick to it, and it will come. Hmm. That's the tough part. I, I know. Myself, learning new songs. I've, I think I've got learning new songs down, Pat, but it's that creative element where you're wanting to add different techniques to or different styles to your technique, if you like. And you've just, exactly to your point, if, you, if, it's, if it's a 24-month period that it takes for you to embed some of these things, you've just got to have the discipline to sit down and do it. And also, have, I think, have the vision to, will, to be willing to want to achieve something too. And I think a lot of people yeah. in this day yeah. and age think they can watch a bloody YouTube video. And it shows them, yeah, use this technique and do this five minute, like, you know, the five minute technique or whatever. It's, excuse my language, it's bullshit. You know, it is, it's dedicated yeah. practice every day. And perfect practice makes perfect. Not practice makes perfect. 
perfect practice take makes perfect. I, I talk to a lot of young musicians about that. It's like, okay, so where are you headed? They've got all the digital audio workstations set up. They've got all of the tools and stuff, but then they go to play. It's like, yeah, it's not quite there yet. So are you practicing? It's like, well, what do I need to do that? I can just play it a couple of measures at a time and then double it up on Pro Tools or Reason or whatever they're using. And it's, it's... Well, that doesn't work too well when you're playing live. No, that's, that's what I was thinking. That's exactly what I'm saying. And consequently, live, they're not that crash hot because they tire out. They sort of be yeah. okay for two songs. And then after that, it's – and these are only playing eight or nine sets. You know, they're on, you know, fourth band on a bill or what have you. Um, and, and I, I yeah. make a really big point of saying, but guys, if you if you want to be a great guitarist, this it hasn't it doesn't change whether it was seventeen eighty or two thousand and nineteen. Meaning you've just got to practice. You've got to have the vision to understand where you're headed with it, and then practice. There's no escaping it. Unfortunately, right. really, that's just how it is. You know. Yeah. And that's that's why I think it, what, it really is a ten thousand ten thousand hour thing that, that people talk yeah. about. I, I think one advantage I had was that. Um, I started playing string instruments when I was seven. So I started with classical violin, um, played violin and cello and classical bass. Uh, so I had that foundation. Um, didn't start with guitar until a little bit later, about in my teens. Hmm. But it came pretty easily because I already had that uh, dexterity of, of at least my left hand um, to, to be able to, to you know, form chords and, and that kind of thing. I also think the classical training gives you a, a basis in musical theory. And um, like, you know, often you're, you're writing a song and, and you're, you're kind of stuck on where to go. That's where you pull out the musical theory and say, okay, yes. you're on a G where, where do you need to go next? So, so, true. Um, yeah. so I think that was also a help. Yeah. That's so true, what you just said then. When you get stuck, this is the big difference between people who understand theory and people who don't, or at least people who have access to understanding the theory, somebody around them or what have you, because we all experience creative, creative or writer's block. We all get it. But one yeah. way of working yeah. through that is to rely on the rudimentary elements, if you like, of your craft and going back to that and, and sort of easing yourself back into it by uh, applying the theory, right. if you like, the technique of the theory to your music. And that's a great way, I think, of... I've done that myself, but I, I, it's not intuitive for me, as I say. It's something I've got to go online and say, well, I'm here and I work out what, what scale I've used and then I work out what mode I've used to create songs and then I go, well, what could you do next using these two things in combination with each yeah. other? And you come up with some pretty interesting ideas that way. Yeah, exactly. You know. Exactly. Yeah, uh, t tell me about the sort of. So, uh, you yeah, right. You go. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. The sort of guitar you use. Are you, are you uh, specific about the type of guitar you need to use? I assume it's a, it's very important to you that you need to have a, a certain setup and even a certain brand that you're playing because uh, of the characteristics of a brand. Yeah, absolutely. So, and and often, um, you know, for for different tunings, even different guitars are better. Mm. Um, but I, I've been very fortunate to be able to play some um, some really unique and, and fantastic guitars. Um, one thing I will say, though, uh, is you can go into a, a music store and there, there could be seven Martins, uh, all the same model, sitting in a row, and not one of them is the same. Yeah. This business of, of buying a, a acoustic guitar online, I would highly recommend against that. Uh, because Agreed. you know, out of those seven, there's going to be one good one. And what what is a good guitar for me might not be a good guitar for you. 
uh, I, I had a good buddy here in San Francisco. He flat picker, and he he wanted this uh, a co op with guitar. And I told him, "You're not going to like it. It, it. it would work for me, but it's not going to work for you." He had a couple with guitar, and about a month ago, he came to me and said, "Do you want it?" Hmm. No, I don't. <laughs> you know, because you know, if you're flat picking, that's that's not the guitar for you. Yeah, I was, Which, I was, I was. I would pay attention to that. Yeah, it's it's so true. I played a I when I was in New York actually I bought an orchestra model from um Mandolin Brothers and it played beautifully in the store. Yeah. And and when I got it home it yeah. actually played like an absolute dog. And I was so frustrated with the bloody thing because of course it cost me two and a half grand or something. And I ended up giving that away. Yeah. I ended yeah. up giving it away because I don't I think I, I I'm a bit altruistic. I don't know. I, I suppose I believe in 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 you put these things out in the ether, you get them back. So I thought if I give the guitar away to somebody who really needs it and somebody who's actually a really good performer but doesn't have a good one of their own, and it turns out this guitar suits them beautifully. So I thought, well, that's that's you know that's good. I couldn't have sold it for much much more than five or six hundred bucks over here anyway. There just isn't the demand for Martin these days uh, in Australia, yeah. unfortunately. I don't know yeah. what's happened to them uh, recently, but uh, so, so what I would, what I would say is for me um, for finger style guitar i actually like mahogany as as the tone wood um versus uh like a rosewood because i think um it, it keeps this um this more true tone i think mm-hmm. and then uh on on the top you're going after if you want articulate then then you want to do a spruce guitar uh top but i think those some of those old martins are great style guitars so no one like you try yeah the old but ones are great are wonderful yeah the old ones are great just yeah. the new ones the ones that have been made in the last 10 years or so just like i don't know yeah i mean Honestly, I, I bought. I bought. I love my bass. Actually, my my acoustic bass by Martin, which I bought at um, Guitar Center there um, in Manhattan, um, and I got. I bought it. Bought yeah. all those things over there when the Australian dollar had parity, so I was getting a really good deal. So um, yeah. went over there and bought a couple of guitars, and that's beautiful. But that was made. I bought that second hand, so that was made in the early two thousands or so. I just noticed some of their stuff recently. I'm, I'm personally not that big a fan of it, and I've played a lot of it, and I am a big Martin fan. Historically, but um, yeah, it's you got to, the older ones. I, I had the privilege of playing a guitar that was about eighty years old, I think, when I was in there, and that that thing played like an absolute yeah, song. Yeah, those are incredible. Yeah, it felt like porcelain, doesn't it? They feel really weird. They feel um, their resonance is unlike anything else you've you've you can hear. Like it just you play a chord and it just it just beautiful it's when they're set up right and and everything else. It just resonates into eternity. It's just a beautiful sound, and you feel it vibrating through the rest of your body. But uh, yeah, the newer ones, I just find that I had to really work hard to get a decent sound out of it. And when you're playing, I do covers, very different to what you're doing, obviously, but playing three one-hour sets and it's just me and a singer, me on the guitar playing. Man, I can tell you, by the end of the night, I was ready to give it away. <laughs> I was ready to give it away. So I ended up uh, switching across to... Yeah, yeah, it happens. I mean, it, it's my experience is not unusual and it could be anybody. It could just be me and the brand, who knows, you know. But uh, I ended up playing a like an $800 Maiton. I don't know whether you've heard of the guitar brand Maiton that are made in Melbourne here, but um, that 
that was a treat that worked out really well for me actually and uh it could sort of stand having beer spilt on it and all the rest of it i didn't feel so bad when that happened after yeah you that know um one of the best guitars i have is is an old uh it's probably from the 60s actually my cousin gave it to me um uh a guitar that was sold at sears mm. um and yeah, it was go. inexpensive at the time but it's aged well uh, it's, it's got a mahogany back and sides and a spruce top, and it's 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 old harmony, uh, which you know at the time is probably a thirty dollar guitar, uh, but it's it's an amazing guitar. So it's not it's not just um, you know like I said you have to play a lot, and you have to um, find the guitar that works for you, for what you're doing. Uh, the other trick that music stores do that you should always be aware of they put these uh, coated elixir strings on them yes um and they sound good in the store but they, yep. they get out and they're, they're horrible so you you got to get a good uh if you're really going to buy a guitar like that make them change the strings to, to something the average ones that you would use um, yeah. yeah yeah no you're not exactly. wrong and that's that's actually i think you're so right with that that's actually the reason i use elixir strings Actually, I graduated to Elixir Strings after getting so frustrated with some of the other ones, other brands that I won't mention. And, yeah. Uh, they just didn't have the life in them. You could feel it after a three or four hour gig when you're sweating on it. You felt them go lifeless. And you're like, oh, I've yeah. only been playing it for three or four hours. It's not that long. But if it's constantly yeah. being played, they, they don't like it. They don't like it. I don't know whether they're, where they're made these days and, and why the quality is diminished. But the Elixir strings, to your point, I, I do. I can't even remember the gauge that I'm using these days. It's been a while since I've played the guitar. must be said I've switched across to playing bass a lot more. But, uh, yeah, the Elixir strings just are, are a treat. They can make an average guitar sound great. Yeah, exactly. So the other thing that uh, I, I did want to mention the, yeah. the, the our, our group project uh, flow. I don't know if you've uh, listened to any of uh, of that stuff, but uh, I have. Yeah, I've been working with. Yeah, yeah, the, the so, Australian uh, keyboard player. Yeah, go ahead. The Australian keyboard player that you've been working with, or piano player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so uh, Fiona Joy from from uh, Australia. Uh, and uh, Will Ackerman uh, on guitar, which that's been a really great and interesting experience to to play in a band with Will, uh, and then Jeff Oster on flugelhorn. Um, and we've been actually touring the last few years. We've played uh, a number of places, but most notably we played Carnegie Hall uh, in New York twice, and we've been nice. invited back uh, to play again in uh, September. So we'll be back in Carnegie Hall and uh, also doing uh, limited uh, appearances on the East Coast, and then we've got a show in L.A. Uh, all in the fall, mm-hmm. uh, all centered around our, our uh, second album release. Uh, with Beautiful. Yeah, it, that's stunning music too, by the way, and uh, I'm, I'm glad that you are working with the band because it's, uh, uh, in terms of being able to play in front of a lot of people, uh, that's usually the way to do it. So is there a lot of a demand for you to be performing live? Do you get a lot of agents and managerial types reaching out and checking for your availability? Yeah, we we, I mean, we could be on the road all year if we wanted to be. It's, it's difficult wow. uh, okay. to do that. Yeah. And especially, uh, you know, with Fiona in Australia, Jeff and I are in San Francisco and Wilson, Vermont. So uh, what we've been doing is, is pretty limited engagements, um, but it's, it's a lot of fun playing live. 
it's it's quite a thing uh, to play live in a band versus playing live as a solo artist. And I think it's been a great growth experience for, for all of us to, to do that. Um, because, you know, previously we we're, were used to just doing our own thing live. And now we're, we're in this situation where, and, and what we do with flow is, is not, if you listen to flow, it, you know, you can hear elements of me and elements of Will and elements of Jeff and Fiona, but it's not, what we do uh, as solo artists, it's completely different, yeah. uh, which I think is great. Yeah. How'd you meet Fiona, being given you're in the US and she's in Australia? I mean, we're, as I mentioned at the beginning of the call, we're a, we're a very well-connected society these days, but uh, did you guys meet through mutual acquaintances or can you tell me how that friendship or relationship came about? Yeah, we, we actually met through Will Ackerman, uh, who produced um, has produced uh, three albums for me and, and several albums for Fiona. Hmm. Uh, and so that's how we met, uh, through Will. And uh, I actually came up with the idea uh, to, to, to combine all of our efforts, uh, because I think in, in, with acoustic music, there's certainly there's jazz bands, but there's not really any uh, band that does what we do. Mm. And um, I think there was a, there was an opportunity to do that, and I think what happened was we surprised ourselves in that what we thought was going to happen was each of us would bring some songs, and the others would would sort of um, add a little this and that to it. What happened was we all brought songs, and then we all deconstructed our songs, and so they became things that we would have never done on our own, uh, and pretty excited about the results so if people listening want to check out our, our uh, flow album it's it's called flow by flow um and uh, it's available you know everywhere on spotify and uh, if anyone's still buying cds you can buy them through amazon i was gonna say yeah um, yeah yeah i I'd highly recommend yeah. that and and unless you've got an in where i like listening to your music in particular is in the car um, and I, I, yeah, a lot of people tell me that. Yeah, it's beautiful music. It, it is a very. Uh, this is. I don't want this to come across as a cliche, but this is absolutely correct in your case. It's very. It's a very calming influence. I mean, it, roads anywhere in the world these days yeah. with traffic are awful, and <laughs> if you've got something yeah. nice in the background that's uh, just sort of taking the edge off a little bit, just sort of taking. It's like a fine glass of red wine. Your music, I think, and it, and it just takes the edge off a little bit and makes you a little bit more at peace with your surroundings. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. Is there is there an opportunity that you could come over here and perform? You know, we've talked about that. Uh, I, I would like to come over to Australia, and Fiona has certainly uh, been lobbying us. So uh, let's see how it goes over the next year or so, but uh, I, I think we would like to do that for sure. Hmm. Yeah, great. I think... Your music is music that once people hear it once, no matter what their particular preference or style of music they like to go to, they're going to find a lot of value in the music that you're creating, mate. You know that? It's music that is timeless. It isn't uh, representative under any specific genre or label. It's just wonderful music you can put on in a variety of applications, whether you're in the car. I put it on in the morning too when I'm getting the kids' lunches ready before school. I love playing your sort of music and classical music. Uh, uh, you don't by any chance have a vinyl edition of any of the uh, the releases that you've got, do you? We don't, uh, and we've also been talking about that. I, I guess our biggest fear is that we're going to have a, a garage full of vinyl yeah, and end up selling them. Mm. Uh, but, 
you know, it's tough. I mean, uh, it's, people don't buy CDs anymore. In fact, I would say 99% of people I know, including myself, don't even own a CD player. Uh, and But there, I, I'm told there is a, a growing uh, number of people that are interested in vinyl again. Uh, and I'm starting to see more vinyl uh, around uh, town here. So it is something we've, we're considering. It may be in a limited run um, to do that. Mm. I think our music would sound great in vinyl. I, I do like the warmth of, of uh, especially if, if you have a, um, a receiver with, with old uh, vacuum tubes in it. Oh, God, I think yeah. they do make a, a difference. Oh, yeah. massive, massively. So yeah. the other, the other thing too, it's not really about quality of music here, but uh, cassettes, if you can believe it, have made a big comeback, particularly in heavy metal and hip hop circles. So mixtapes and and heavy metal band, hip hop artists producing mixtapes and heavy metal artists producing EPs and all sorts of interesting combinations of um, of of music on cassettes and I've bought a couple actually from Bandcamp and online and it's a real thrill for me to share that with my kids actually and I, I don't think it'd yeah. work yeah I don't think cause, cool. I don't think cassettes would work really well for your music I think a lot would be lost but I think vinyl especially when you're talking about using vacuum using a vacuum tube speaker system and a nice turntable you know a really good high quality turntable your music mate would just um, it would just just become part of the ether in that environment yeah, I appreciate that. So that that could be in the cards um, to do something like that. Mm. Uh, I think it would be an interesting project uh, to do that. Mm. Indeed. Well, look, we, we've covered a lot of ground. And uh, is there anything else that you want to share with the listener before we finish up? No, I just, look, I appreciate anybody listening to my music uh, and love to hear from people. I, I do from time to time about uh, different aspects of, of, of how they've listened to my music or, or used my music in different things. Uh, you can you can check out my website at lawrenceflat.com uh, and and you know follow me on Twitter and Instagram and uh, certainly you can find me on Spotify and Pandora and probably twenty other uh, music streaming services that I don't even know about. <laughs> uh, and I just thank everybody for, uh, and really appreciate uh, when people take the time to listen. Mm. You're an extraordinary artist, mate. Thank you for taking the time to create music. I mean, God knows you've got your hands full with a lot of other things, but you choose to make music and you make beautiful music. So anybody listening, I implore you to just go along to Lawrence's socials or his website, especially support him by purchasing a CD. Um, but uh, look, just listen to the music really any way that you can because it's the sort of music that I think will certainly be a very big positive to your day. Thank you so much. That's all right, mate. So, look, what I'll do... You've been listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series that syndicates for the A-List online. My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith and that interview subject was Lawrence Blatt. Thank you so much for listening.